that's one of the misconceptions is strength training is important. It's no doubt important. But if that's all you're doing in the gym, chances are you're missing out on a big part of, of what it is you're actually looking to accomplish, whether it is performance-based or it's just health and wellness-based, you know, conditioning and aerobic training, all these things, you know, they're essential to it. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by world-renowned conditioning expert, Joel Jamison. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of what's going on in my neck of the woods, a little deep thought for you to marinate on, and then we will jump in to this amazing episode. So what's going on here? Man, pretty slow week overall. It felt a little bit more hectic than usual. The family farm that we grew up in. If you don't know, my parents owned a horseback riding farm, stable, whatever you want to call it for, geez, I don't know, 30 some years, something like that. They are actually getting ready to sell it. So when they were up in December, we wanted to hang out, didn't get to happen because of the whole COVID thing, but they came up, winterized it. So they asked me to go up and check it out so it would pass inspection. And needless to say, it did not go quite like I would have expected. I started warming up the apartment and, you know, running the water and testing everything out. And we had a water filter leak and we had a leak under the main kitchen faucet. So needless to say, it was more eventful than I would have expected. Luckily, uh, got a plumber out there, got everything squared away, and I haven't heard back from them yet, but hopefully the inspection went well and their barn will be off the market here very shortly because it's it's become a hassle at this point. You know, they moved to Florida about five years ago now. So the fact that they are not here and they've had renters and, you know, it's been unoccupied for about the last six, seven months it's kind of time for them to move on from that. So hopefully I did my part and uh, helped them out a little bit, but that was a big part of the weekend. Scooted back on Saturday as soon as I was done there and everything checked out and got to watch Cade's last basketball game. I think he was ready <laughs> for it to be done. It's a long season. When we signed up, we're like, wow, this is really like a four month commitment. And it's definitely the the most lengthy of all of the sports seasons, you know, soccer is about two, two and a half months. Baseball is like two, two and a half months. Basketball being four months, it's a long season. Now, granted, you got like a two-week break in there due to Christmas, but it doesn't matter. It's a long year. Very excited for his progress. I don't know if it's his favorite sport. I think he tends to rotate through, you know, whatever sport he's not playing at that time he claims is his favorite. So basketball is finished and Then on Sunday, he actually had like baseball, like tryouts, which I hate the word tryout. Really, they just go and try and get a gauge for their level of competency so they can try and balance the teams. But he seemed super excited about that. And, you know, he didn't get to play last year due to COVID. So I'm excited for him to get out there. He's got good hand-eye coordination, hits left, throws right. So uh, if you're around baseball players, you know, that's kind of like a magic combo. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm just excited for the spring because I'm going to be an assistant coach for him in baseball. I'm going to be a head coach for Kendall in soccer. So I'm excited to get back out there. It's nice having the winter off, but I also enjoy getting out there and just getting time, not just with my kids, but other young kids and trying to help them grow as athletes, as human beings. And it's just something I take a lot away from. So basketball is over. We're moving on. With that being said, it is the all-star break coming up, and I've already had a couple of my basketball guys reach out. So Hopefully that means a few more coaching hours for me over the next week, 
week and a half. Excited to see them and, and figure out how they're doing right now. And then the last big thing for this week is the Complete Coach Certification launch is coming up next week. I mean, it's crazy to think about, you know, I generally launch in September and March, and it's just crazy to think like we're there. It's, it is really the second week in March here in just a few days. So excited to push that back out. The big allure, if you will, this time around, I try and add something every time. So I think the big thing this time is just getting CEUs. I know a lot of people had requested in the past for me to get NSCA CEUs. Didn't know if I could pull it off. So very excited to offer those now. I mean, if you finish the cert, you get 2.0 NSCA CEUs. And my wife's a dietitian, and she's like, two, that doesn't sound like much because in their world, it's like per hour. And I had to explain to her like 2.0 is like 20 credit hours. So she's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So the great thing about that is you don't have to take any other course this year. You could take the certification, get the CEUs for it, and you're basically good for NSCA CEUs for the entire 2021 year. So excited about that. And then just excited to see what I'm going to do with it next. I've got some different ideas as far as things I might want to freshen up, like a new freshen up as far as the core training principles I use or the single leg stuff. I thought about maybe adding an entire module on online training because obviously that seems to be a thing now. I don't I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So all kinds of ideas as to where I'm going to take it and what I'm going to continue to add in the future. But excited to get the launch done next week and hopefully, you know, get a handful of new people that are excited to learn more and help their clients and their athletes get better results. So that is what's new. Before we jump into the show, though, I want to give you a a little insight. And so I had a discussion with one of my athletes today, amazing young young woman that I have just a ton of respect for, very mature for her age. And she is very much a planner. And I can relate to this because I'm very much a planner as well. I like to have like a vision for where I'm going in life, what my future is going to look like. And so we had this discussion because I think almost to her detriment, she wanted to have everything planned. And I had to explain to her, you know, like, okay, planning is okay, but I think what's more important than planning is having a general vision for yourself. And, and this applies not only to life, but to training as well. That's why I love this stuff. Like training in life, the analogies are just infinite. But the way I tried to describe this to her was, look, you know, you need to have a general vision for the kind of life you want to live, right? Maybe the profession that you want the kind of significant other you're going to be with, where you want to live, like general things like that. But at the same time, you have to give yourself wiggle room. You have to give yourself freedom because sometimes opportunities come up or things come up, both positive and negative, that you can't always control. So you have to have some malleability when it comes to this. And I think training is is in a lot of ways the same. So when I'm laying out a training program for a client, maybe I have this, say, three-month vision. And the first, say, two weeks are sketched out pretty strongly. But that's about it. Like, that's it. And, uh, you know, back in the day when I was getting started, there were these pieces of software where you could lay out not just training, you know, blocks, like three week blocks, or excuse me, like three month blocks, but annual programs, quadrennial programs for like Olympic caliber athletes. And I think now we realize, like, look, man, we don't know how a client's going to look tomorrow let alone in the next month or in the next year. But that's where this idea of having a vision comes in. You can't just go willy-nilly and just wing it the whole time. 
you have a general vision for how you want things to look, uh, the general maybe structure that you want to have, or, or maybe the general goals you want to achieve, but you have to be flexible in your approach. So just something to think about, you know, when it comes to training or life, you know, because we talk about both on this show, have a general vision for where you want to go and how you think you'll get there. But at the same time, don't get too caught up in planning because you can't control things months, if not years down the line. Have the vision, start putting the pieces in motion, and then you just got to take it a couple weeks and every couple months at a time. So that is my thought for the day. I hope it helps you out a little bit. Now, without any further ado, quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Joel Jameson. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Joel Jameson is a true pioneer in the physical preparation world. Not only has he redefined how we think about and approach conditioning, but he's also one of the best when it comes to merging technology with training. And perhaps even more importantly, he's a great friend and someone whose work I truly admire. In this show, Joel and I talk about why he wrote his first book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, the difference between fitness and conditioning, why conditioning research is fatally flawed, ways you can spice up your long-duration cardio, and what the future of tech looks like in fitness. I've had Joel on the show a few times now, and I don't know if he was well-rested, optimally caffeinated, or what, but this was far and away the best show we've ever had together. But enough for me, let's do this. Joel, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you know, my fitness journey started a long time ago, way back in the late 90s, or 2000s. Started at the University of Washington under a great strength coach named Bill Gillespie, who's one strong son of a bitch. I heard he just did a thousand pound bench and oh the guy's uh, 60 plus years old. So he's the first person that's ever benched a thousand over the age of 60. And, wow. uh, you know, back then he was not quite that strong, but he was still massively <laughs> strong. 
It was a great, great guy, fun to work out with. Went from there to the Seahawks for a little bit, interned there, and then opened up my own gym back in 2003. And kind of at the time, I was doing a lot of the same stuff that most strength coaches do. You know, I was a strength and power oriented coach. That's what I learned how to do and was was good at. And then I just happened to open my gym next to MMA gym where I had to start learning how to train these guys from a conditioning standpoint. Because I realized really quickly that when I started actually trying to train with them myself, I, I just realized how poorly my how poor my own conditioning was and how little I actually knew about conditioning. And so my career took a big turn towards energy system and conditioning. And so over the years, you know, I studied studied that. I dove into that. I wrote a book in 2009, as, as you know, Ultimate MMA Conditioning that, that did really well and caught on to a bunch of different uh, different circles outside of MMA. Technology is something that's uh, played a big role in my career. I started using something called the Omega Wave even before uh, I opened the gym. So I think around 2000 or so, 2001, I was introduced to really the first fitness tech out there that was used, you know, for for high level athletes. And it was it was a $35,000 heart rate variability system that was developed by the Russians. But it was really just the earliest of earliest of fitness tech. And so I started using that as a, you know, a young coach. And it showed me all kinds of insights that I would never have had otherwise. So over the years, you know, I've kind of had this intersection of technology and managing recovery as a result of that and conditioning and expanded out from just combat athletes into a lot of different sports and, and been able to leverage my background from both the strength and power side and the conditioning side. You know, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of big organizations out there and see how the, the big companies do. I worked with Lifetime Fitness for quite a while and built certification content for all their coaches. I had a big partnership with Gold's Gym, done a lot of various things with uh, different military special forces groups. So yeah, you know, it's it's been a hell of a journey. I've done a lot of different things in the fitness industry that I probably never expected to. You know, I kind of thought I was just going to open my gym and, and train football players back right. in the day and, you know, took a career, took some twists and turns and I was lucky to do uh, a lot a lot more than just that and be exposed to a lot of different areas, meet a lot of great people and, and help out uh, a lot of coaches and just athletes and other people along the way. So I said, not, not my expected the direction to go, but I'm certainly glad that it did. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. So one thing I want to ask you, and I don't know if I've ever heard like a definitive answer on this, and we've been friends for quite a while now, but what prompted you originally to write your ultimate MMA conditioning book, which I will still say is one of my top five strength and conditioning books of all time? Yeah, I mean, it's funny if you never heard a story because this is actually kind of funny. So at the time, I had you know been training lots of lots of combat athletes, particularly at a very high level for a number of years. You know, I wrote MMA conditioning in 2009, I believe it was. But at the time, my mom had suffered a stroke, and the the repercussions of that were, you know, she was she was able to move and talk, but she had lost a huge amount of her mobility, and it was it was not a very good time in my life because dealing with that was was very hard. And I was sitting around at the gym, just kind of depressed, honestly. And I was coming home at night, and it was it was a hard time. And so anyway, I was just kind of literally surfing the internet one night, and I came across this this fighting internet forum called SureDog, and there was a big posts about strength conditioning in this forum. There's lots of posts about strength conditioning. And so it's like 2 a.m. and I'm just kind of sitting there on my couch and I'm reading through all these posts. And there was just a lot of really, really bad information about combat sports conditioning. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the people were generally well-meaning, but they were they were just kind of armchair quarterbacks talking about conditioning for fighters. And I got the feeling that a lot of them didn't even train in the sport themselves. And so I just created this account and I, I made this post, you know, and I, I didn't really put much thought into it, but Basically, the title was like, how to solve your conditioning problem. And, you know, I just kind of hastily threw you guys post. That was basically like, hey, I've read through a lot of posts. You know, I see a lot of holes in the logic here. Uh, <laughs> here's, the, here's the way that you guys need to actually approach conditioning. And I wrote a fairly lengthy post. 
And I didn't think much of it. Like I said, I probably should have put a little more thought into it or should maybe introduce myself. I, I definitely did not introduce myself and my experience. <laughs> I just kind of made this post. And so I went to sleep. The next day I woke up and I just checked it. And I just got absolutely blasted by all these people <laughs> on the forum because they've been around, you know, for years. Like, oh, who the hell is this noob? Like, screw you. Noob. <laughs> <shit." laughs> so, yeah, so, like, yeah, like, Basically, I just got absolutely blasted by these guys. And so I was like, oh, I could just kind of let it go. But I generally tend to not let it go when people are calling me out. So I you know, I politely responded with, well, here's why you're wrong. And I started this kind of huge back and forth with people. And then, you know, I, I didn't want to just come come out and say, here's who I've trained. Like, it just, I don't know. It, it sounded, uh, I just didn't want to do it. So right. I just kind of kept arguing, basically, more or less. And then it kept the thread going. I mean, it was, it was getting a ton of views because it was just turned into like one giant argument of everybody against me basically <laughs> <laughs> and so eventually there was a, another guy who was a moderator in a forum and he he worked out at amc pin creation where i trained all the fighters and he kind of came on he saw this uh, i didn't even talk to him about it, he just saw it and he said hey you guys might want to listen like here's a list of all the guys that, that that this poster has trained he works with matt hume's guys you know he's trained with franklin he trained chris liebman he trained sakura he trained all these guys that i trained i, had, you know, I trained probably five five ten world champions at this point but i was completely under the radar so nobody knew who, who i was I, I didn't have a website i wasn't posted anywhere until that point like i was just at that point you know i trained all these guys but i had no name whatsoever and so all of a sudden the tone of the conversation changed like instantly right now right now with everyone telling me i'm an idiot and moron and swearing at me and telling me to get off the forum to asking me questions and you know wanting to be my best friend because all of a sudden they realized i was actually who i was talking about and so it just turned around and this forum went from, you know, just this late night post I made to like, I think it had 400 or 500 threads in a pretty short period of time because everybody started posting. It just turned this massive thing and the moderators made it sticky and just turned into this big thing that was getting a ton of attention. So I just kind of realized like, wow, there's, there's a huge amount of demand for this because there's so much bad information and people want to know the answers. So I said, okay, I'm going to try and create a website and let's see how that does. And so I, I mean, at that point, I, I just made eight weeks out kind of overnight myself. I didn't, didn't really know how to build a website, but I figured it out just the basics of how to create a forum on there. And I said, hey, I've got a forum over eight weeks out. If you guys want to join there, come over there because I was getting sick of posting and sure dog all the time. Right. And so all of, all of a sudden, I had like two or 3,000 people join the forum over there and we kind of kept the whole discussion going. I just kind of created this, this tiny following really quickly. So at that point, you know, within a few months, I was spending a ton of time on this. Like I was, you know, spending a couple hours a day answering questions on my forum and trying to, you know, get, get back to people. And it was, it was really time consuming. I'm like, man, this is taking up a huge amount of my time. Like and I, I'm still training people all day and I'm dealing with my mom and rehab and taking her to doctors. I'm like, I can't keep doing this if there's, if I'm not making anything out of it, you know, like I like helping people, but you know, I got bills to pay. And so I was like, well, I'm going to write, why don't I write a book? You know, and I'd never written a book actually that's not true i wrote a book for volleyball but i'd never written a, a, a big book right so i decided basically i want to write this book and i'm going to see if people will buy it so i came up with this idea which in hindsight was kind of funny i said i'm going to write the first half of this book i'm going to you know see how long it takes and then i'm going to put it up for pre-sale and if i get enough people interested then i'm going to finish it if i don't then i'll just refund their money so I, I, honestly i was not sure how many people were going to buy a book for me you know i never had sold a book in math i just created one for a volleyball class i wrote i ran so I literally wrote the first half of Ultimate Conditioning in about six weeks. And, you know, I put it out there for sale on the website and I sold like 400 copies like overnight, which wow. was a good amount for me. Yeah. At 40 bucks, you know, 40 bucks. It was like 16,000 back then, which, you know, was, was a good amount of money back then to me. Yeah. And especially compared to what I was making training. So I was like, oh shit, I got to finish this thing, right? <laughs> so, 
so it turns out the second half of the book is a whole lot harder to write than the first half of the book. <laughs> and, and, and editing and printing and all these things I didn't take into consideration took forever. And so I had people, you know, people started out very friendly when I was, you know, saying it was delayed and they started getting less friendly and less friendly the longer the delays went. <laughs> because keep in mind, I, I'd never put a book out there before, right? So right. I mean, they, 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 they knew I was in the, they were reading my stuff in the forum. Like, I'm sure they, they, they knew I knew what I was talking about, but I was taking much longer than I said. I think I told them it was going to take like four weeks and it took like three months. Like it was <laughs> really, really delayed. And some people were like, give me my money back, you thief. Like it was not... <laughs> going well and it wasn't intentional i just i kind of realized how much work there was in finishing the book and i i, I was so intent on making sure it was really well done that i didn't want to just shortchange and get it out there so it took me forever to get it done is the bottom line but it, i got it out there and it caught on pretty quickly and i started getting uh, you know a good amount of orders for it really right after that once people started reading it and i started people started reviewing it and i started getting orders from all kinds of sports outside of combat sports and all sorts of teams and uh, it grew really quickly from there so it all it definitely paid off but you know it was not this straightforward process, process I, I no it was definitely a lot more difficult a lot more time consuming and but you know it ultimately worked out it was just kind of funny how it all started yeah. And I always tell people, like, don't be put off by the name. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't train cage fighters. I'm like, you don't need to be a cage fighter. Like all of the principles in there are relevant to everybody, because I think I've trained exactly one MMA fighter in my career. But I lean on that book for basically every conditioning program I've ever written. So, yeah, I mean, when I wrote it, that was kind of my idea was, you know, I, I call it ultimate conditioning because obviously I talk about training combat athletes in there, but I wanted to give any coach, just a better, or any person really, just a better understanding of how energy systems work, how they relate to performance, you know, how you approach them from a training standpoint and how you progress over time. And there's just, there's so much out there on the strength side of the game. I mean, there's endless, endless yes. books on strength training, right? But there's really not much out there. If you say, Hey, I really want to learn how to develop energy systems and I want to train them in an intelligent way. There's, there's textbook style stuff out there where you get the biochemistry, you get into all the stuff that no one really cares about, but there's very little that talks about the actual training side and treating yes. energy systems in a similar way to strength training. So that's essentially what I want to build and, and what I wrote. And that's, I think, why it did well. It's just there was a, there's a big need for it, but there was just very little out there on it. Absolutely. So while cage fighting might be cool, you know, most of the people that are listening to this probably don't train MMA fighters. So with that being said, why should the gen pop coach put an emphasis on conditioning in their workouts? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And, and the answer is simply that that conditioning is really, you know, it's hugely important for every goal because the way that I define conditioning is, is maybe a bit different than a lot of people would, but I look at two two elements of the whole thing. So I look at what I would call fitness and fitness are really just things that we can measure through different tests, right? So we can measure your VO2 max. We can measure your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability on the strength side. We can obviously measure your max strength. We can measure your explosive power. We can measure different movement quality. We can measure all these different things. And I would call essentially all those measures of different types of fitness, right? Like strength is a type of fitness, aerobic training, aerobic metabolism is a type of fitness. But conditioning is really how your body puts all these pieces together to accomplish a goal to actually apply fitness. So to me, conditioning is applied fitness. And so I, the, the example I use is I can go to Home Depot and I can buy all the tools, right? I can get a, a build, build a house and say, I want to build a house. I can go get all the tools. I can get all the materials. But if I don't know how to build a house, they're just going to sit there. I'm not going to do anything with them. They're not, right. not going to serve, serve me any good. So conditioning is really understanding what tools you need to buy. In other words, what types of fitness you need to, to create 
our generator improve. And then it's being able to put those together to accomplish something. So in sports, that something is very obvious. You want to win the game. You want to win the division. You want to win the Super Bowl. You want to win the fight. That's the obvious goal of conditioning in sports is to perform and execute your skills and win. But the reality is for most people, as you mentioned, who don't want to go punch people in the face or get kicked in the face. They just want to live a longer, healthier, you know, more fulfilled life where they don't have injuries and they feel good and they have energy and all this sort of stuff. Addition is the same thing. You, you want to be able to do that. That's your goal. And you still have to understand what types of fitness to develop. And you still have to understand how do you put those pieces together. So you know, in, in particular, aerobic fitness is really the key to both of them in a lot of ways, because the aerobic energy system is what drives 99.99 plus percent of your energy from the moment you're born until the moment you're dead. So the more you can develop that, the higher your chances are of avoiding a lot of diseases, you know, cardiovascular disease and stroke and all the things that kill a third or more of people in the U.S. at least and most of the world. You know, those things are preventable through aerobic training and through better conditioning, understanding how to deal with stress, understanding how to move more efficiently, understanding how to breathe better, all the things you talked about as well. You know, those things aren't just for, for fighters or for athletes. They're really for anybody who, you know, wants to just feel good and live longer and look their best and avoid all the, the, the pitfalls of aging and falling apart as you get older. So, you know, it really doesn't matter what your goal is. There, there's no goal out there where conditioning is not going to play a big role or where understanding the right types of fitness and how to develop those things is going to be important. Those are always going to be important. So I think that's one of the misconceptions is strength training is important. It's no doubt important. But if that's all you're doing in the gym, chances are you're missing out on a big part of, of what it is you're actually looking to accomplish, whether it is performance-based or it's just health and wellness-based, you know, conditioning and aerobic training, all these things, you know, they're essential to it. So I think everyone has to just have that in their mind as they, as they look at their big picture of their training program. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's, that's interesting is, you know, I can tell you I was very much like a an anti-long-duration, low-intensity guy until I got familiar with your work, until I started to understand the aerobic system better. And I think still to this day, like the long-duration, low-intensity aerobic work gets a bad rap. So since you are like the conditioning guy, and I feel like you still have your finger on the pulse of this, like, could you talk a little bit about why you think that is? And then maybe just some of the general benefits that people can get from just that low-end, lower-intensity work? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think it gets a bad rap for a lot of reasons. Number one is we love the idea of, of working harder for shorter and getting the most bang for our buck, so to speak. And we like these big headlines of like, you know, build massive biceps in three weeks or double your VO2 max in a month with Kubata. <laughs> like, you know, those sound super catchy. No one says like, go long and slow for six months and you're gradually increased, you know, <laughs> <laughs> gradually increase the whole time, right? Right. That's not, that's not exciting, but that's, you know, part of the truth. So I think part of it is just our, our nature of thinking that like everything has to be very short and very high intensity. And it's reinforced by all these, these research tidbits. You know, if you put people in a study and you train one group at a higher intensity for four weeks and one group at lower intensity for four weeks, there's no question the group that trains a higher intensity over those four weeks is going to see better results. I mean, it's, it's a greater load in the body. So the body responds with a greater change and over short periods of time, that's great. But I think the problem is where all of this breaks down is just over the long run, you know, high intensity every day, all day, or a program that's got nothing to high intensity is bound to run into problems because sooner or later, that high load the body accumulates and it becomes more in your body can recover effectively from and you either plateau if you're lucky, or you start to get injured or you break down, break down. If you're less yep. lucky. Right. So, and, and we've seen that. I mean, CrossFit is like the best example of that ever. Not to rip on CrossFit. There's benefits and there's, there's good things CrossFit brought to the market. But it was literally a, a CrossFit was the biggest experiment in high intensity training in history. And I think most people that did CrossFit would agree that if you actually followed that sort of program for long, 
people ran into problems. I mean, CrossFit yeah. literally sued the NSCA because they had research showing how many problems it created. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think we understand that, and, and people inherently get it once they, you know, they, they do it themselves. They go into some super high intensity class and they and they jump in the gym and everything's hard and they walk out of the gym crushed every day. And within a couple of months, either they've stopped training or they're injured, so they had to stop training. So, right, really, lo- low intensity is just it's the counterpoint to that. It's it is less effective over the short run, but it's more effective over the long run because it allows your body to gradually adapt and improve over a period of time. It's, it doesn't overload the body as much. Now that said, the other reason I think it gets a bad rap or why people don't like it is it's, it can be boring and monotonous in the way that people have traditionally thought about it, right? I mean, right. people t- typically think of LSD cardio, whatever you want to call it, in the sense of like getting on a treadmill or getting on an elliptical and getting on a bike and going for an hour or two. And that is boring. I mean, I don't I don't want to do that for the most part. So I think people have looked at the standpoint of, oh, it's boring and it's not as effective as high intensity. You know, I can get I can get 20 minutes intervals and I can be done or I can sit on a bike for 90 minutes. That's an easy, tr- that's an easy choice. So that's right. They're going to opt for the high intensity every time. But a couple of things like High intensity doesn't always have to be as high intensity as people want to make it. And low intensity does not have to be as low intensity or boring as people want to make it. So a lot of times the way I'll have people do it is through just different low intensity circuits. So yep. it could be a bike for, could be a bike for 10 minutes, could be jump rope for five minutes, could be a, you know, a stairmaster, a versa climber, a rope climber, just changing up the body weight exercises and sleds. I mean, you can, you can vary the movement patterns and there's actually benefits to varying the movement patterns. So rarely do I have people do much more than five or 10 minutes of one exercise before you rotate through the next. You can change it up and you can do all kinds of different movements to make it more exciting and it doesn't all have to be exactly steady state you can vary the pacing a bit so there's ways to make it more exciting but really the the bottom line is high intensity works in conjunction with low intensity they shouldn't be this war it shouldn't be like yeah. oh do all one or do all the other it should be no i need a mixture of both and as my program progresses that that mixture changes and then as you improve you know and as you work through a six-month block or a year or whatever you will start to change how much time you're spending on each. You know, you, you start out spending a bit more time in the low intensity and a bit less time in the high intensity. And as your fitness improves and as you develop the qualities that you need from the low intensity, then you can start doing a bit more high intensity. But there's you know, there's really no program I ever write these days or, or have in years that you know, doesn't have some of that in there. It's just a question of how much and how you do it and when you do it and all those sorts of things. But, you know, we do low intensity work and, and tempo intervals and, you know, stuff that's not super hard, but it's got a lot of benefits for, you know, continuing to improve the aerobic system. It's hugely beneficial for recovery. It's got all sorts of things that are causing changes in the heart that are different than the high intensity. It's just, it's a, it's the counterbalance and you need both. And like, like I said, the, if, if CrossFit had been CrossFit three days a week and the lower intensity model two days a week or vice versa, you would have seen, I think, a, a lot different result of the experiment. But people just need to get their heads around, like, there is no... You know, there is no four week magic cure for most people, right? Right. There is no six week, you're going to get shredded abs and monster cardio in six weeks by just crushing yourself for six weeks. It'd be great if that worked, but it doesn't. So I think we just have to, people need to shift their mindset a little bit that if you're going to improve something in fitness, it is going to take time and it's got to be a progression and it's going to be this gradual improvement over a long period of time that you're going to eventually be way better off than you are right now. But it's, it's not a, it's not a, sprint you know it is a longer term marathon if you will and you just have to be able to balance your intensity if you're going to survive it and get to the end without crushing yourself which is why you need both uh you know higher lower and even some moderate intensity in there yep you know it's funny because it's not a perfect analogy but one of the the analogies that i tend to use with the people that i train is that you know when you come in the gym i'm not going to take you in and have you max out 
on a lift, right? Like I'm not going to max you out on day one, like on a squat or a bench or a deadlift, but we have no issue doing that with conditioning, right? Like we'll just crush somebody with conditioning the first day in the gym. Like it's not a big deal. So that was one of the big things that I tried to relay to people is like, Hey, it's not a perfect, perfect tit for tat, but I'm not going to crush you day one in the gym when it comes to your strength training. So why would I do that with conditioning? Right. Generally. Exactly. I mean, imagine, imagine if you walk into a gym and someone's like, Oh, I've got a great strength training program for you. Researchers show that increases your strength in four weeks by, you know, 80%. And you're like, awesome. What is it? All right. We're going to max out every day. Yeah, right? Right. We're going to one rep max squat, one rep max pull up and or to pull up, but, uh, you know, bench squat, clean deadlift, one rep max every day for a month. It's right. awesome. You're going to love it. Right. I mean, you know, the thing is you would get real strong for a few weeks and you'd blow some joints and you'd blow yourself <laughs> apart. But that's what we're trying to do on the conditioning side. Like let's go into the gym and just push our heart rate to max every day. Right. Right. So here's my next question. And I'm really interested in your thoughts on this because The downside is conditioning isn't like weights in the sense that, you know, if I go in the gym often enough, physically, I can see changes in my body or I can see more weight on the bar. So I get this like this kind of tangible benefit that I can see. Right. But you can't always get that with conditioning. So how do you go about gauging progress with conditioning or maybe along those same lines? How do you make it sexy so people will stick with it long enough to see results? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So again, really our goal is to define you know, what areas of fitness we have to improve for conditioning. For a lot of people, that's going to be the aerobic system. I mean, it's it's not super often that the anaerobic system is the limitation in your endurance if we look at conditioning from a lot of perspectives for all intents and purposes. So you can measure that in different ways. You know, First, we can look at your resting heart rate. That's a very good indicator of your overall general fitness. You can run either you know lab tests, which is impractical for most people, or you can run like a 12-minute Cooper's test to estimate your VO2 max. You can look at what I use quite frequently as heart rate recovery. So how quickly your heart rate drops, you know, after you do some kind of exertion based thing. If you if you do sprint for a minute, how quickly your heart rate drops after 60 seconds is a really good indicator of your aerobic fitness and your conditioning in a lot of ways. And this research even links that recovery to life expectancy because it is correlated to aerobic fitness so well. So we, we want to look at metrics that we can track. And so I track a lot of those, basically all of those, I track resting heart rates. We track heart rate variability, which is the same concept and correlates extremely well. We'll track basically, you know, how you recover from different exercises. And then we'll track, you know, actual performances and different things throughout the, the conditioning program. And so that's, again, part of the problem, I think, with conditioning is most people approach it so hectically. It's like there's no structure to it. There's no organization. So what are you really tracking? Because you're not doing the same thing twice half the damn time. So I, I don't write programs like that. Like if we're going to do, you know, a four, six or eight week conditioning program or whatever, you know, the program's going to have structure to it where, you know, maybe twice a week, we're going to do a 12 minute timed run and we're going to see basically how far you can go. And then we're going to measure your recovery our rate right after that. And that's our benchmark. And we want to see continuing improvements in that once a week, we're going to basically use that as a test the same way you would use maybe a five or 10 rep max or whatever in a lifting scenario to see if you're improving. We can look at how far you can go over a certain period of time. It doesn't have to be a run. You have to see your program isn't running. Let's see you are doing like a, a you know spin bike or you're doing a airdyne or a versa climber. Like start building your workouts around you know once a week we're going to do this type of assessment into the into the workout. It shouldn't be a totally separate part of the workout. Just make it part of the workout. Right. So you can progress all these things. I mean all your training methods within your conditioning program should have progression. You know you should be going from I don't know, five minutes to eight minutes, eight minutes to 10 minutes. You should be going at 
this speed up to this speed and that speed up to this speed. I mean, your, your conditioning program has to have enough structure and consistency to it that you can actually measure what you're doing and making sure that you're progressing. The key is you know, a lot of stuff it is, is it's using heart rate. It's using, you know, machines where you can track distance and we put those two together. You can get a lot of information about whether or not you're improving. So, you know, when COVID hit, I wrote an eight week kind of gym free at home program that was all bodyweight stuff. And the simplest thing, you know, from a bodyweight standpoint, it was running. And so, right. you know, once a week, once a week for the first four weeks, I had people do like a, a eight minute run and see whether or not they're improving. And then we increased the run up to 12 minutes. And every week they were all seeing improvements, you know, like last week it took me, uh, I went this distance. And then this week I went this distance. So you could see the improvement from week to week dramatically when they were just measuring that. And they could also see their heart rates coming down faster and faster each week. So you just have to build your conditioning program the same way you'd build your strength training program with exercises and methods that you can measure the progress. But again, if, you're, if your idea of conditioning is just go in the gym and do some class or go to the gym and drive my heart rate to maximum, then you have nothing to measure. You, right. you can't track improvement very well because you're not doing the same thing twice. You're not doing anything that's measurable. So you just have to build those things into your program and realize that you can actually track all of these things, if you build your program in a way that it has, you know, that structure, and that capability, and it really, all you have to do is, you know, the same thing, at least a couple of times a week and the same thing in a way that's measurable. So either how far you can go in a period of time or how long it takes you to complete a certain, you know, uh, output or your heart rates across whatever, there's, there's all sorts of ways to measure this. You just have to actually build this into your program intentionally versus again, just going to the gym and training hard and getting your heart rate up. That's fine, but that's not measurable. It's not progressible. That's, that's like the equivalent of just going to the gym and randomly picking up some, some dumbbells and some barbells and doing some stuff like that's right. not, it doesn't have the necessary structure or the necessary, not really a program, you know, it's just kind of a it's workout. Working out. That's, yeah. It's working out. Exactly. I think that's the difference. There's, there's a big difference between a program and a workout. Anyone can write a program. Anybody can go in the gym and work out, but or sorry, anyone can do a workout, anyone can write a workout. But taking those workouts into a series and making it a program, that's, that's you know, a greater challenge for most people. But that's really what you have to do if you want to progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the biggest trends in strength and conditioning right now is the use of tech to help guide your workouts. I know this is a, a space that you're passionate about. You've done a lot of work in. And I know you've been building and implementing your Morpheus system really for years now. So can you talk a little bit about why you built it and how you can envision it helping improve the effectiveness of it, whoever is using it, how, how it can help improve their training sessions? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, like I mentioned earlier on, the, the really big reason I developed it is because so early in my career, I was introduced to technology. You know, it's been almost 20 years, probably has been actually 20 years since I was introduced to heart rate variability. And very quickly, I learned just how important having some objective gauge of whether or not people were recovering well and how their bodies were responding to training. It was such a huge piece of the puzzle that I realized early on, if I didn't have that information, there was just, just a lot of guesswork. Because what I found really quickly was that the, uh, this is something you see when you really start to dig into day, understand coaching. The, you have an hour in the gym while you're working out, and that's hugely valuable and important. But you have 23 hours a day outside the gym to either capitalize on it and get the most out of that session or to completely screw it up because your sleep, your ability to deal with mental stress, your nutrition, all of these things that happen outside the gym ultimately dictate what becomes of your efforts in the gym. And I can't overstate that enough. The, the gym itself is the stimulus. It is the opportunity for you to put your body in a challenging environment where it has to adapt and improve. But it's the 23 hours afterwards that govern whether or not that happens. And that's really what I saw early on with, with technology because I was training professional football players. I was training 
Microsoft executives. I was training high school volleyball athletes. I was training, you know, people that were just stay-at-home parents and, and whatever. I was training this huge variety of clientele. But the whole the, the thing I saw, no matter who I was training, was how much sleep was impacting their recovery and their results. How much them being stressed out by a deadline at Microsoft was impacting them. How much, you know, a high school athlete who had finals was impacting them, or who was uh, just under a lot of stress from school or work. Like you just, I just saw really early on that. The make or break of my program was rarely sets and reps in the way that I thought that was. The make or break of my program was what these people did and they left my gym. And that's a hard thing for most coaches to, to, to truly deal with because it's out of your control. And if you don't know what they're doing, if you have no gauge of what they're doing, and you have no idea of how well their body is handling all those things, then again, you're unfortunately, your, your only chance is to guess. And you're just making assumptions about their recovery and you're making assumptions about how their body is reacting. And you don't really know until you measure and see either improvements or plateaus or you see them break. You're just kind of plumbing your way through it, doing the best you can, but you just, you don't have much information. It'd be like picking stocks without having any information whatsoever about the company. Like, right. you, you don't know, like you're just literally guessing. That's kind of what you're forced to do. And so once I started to look at the data and realize just how important all these things were, I was like, man, I couldn't imagine coaching and, and training myself or anybody without having access to this data because it's so valuable. It's telling me how to manage training. It's telling me what's working, what's not. It's helping me pick better exercises and methods and make better choices. You know, it's just more information led to an ability to be a better coach and to write better programs and manage them more effectively. So that's why I created the first system I created was BioForce HRV back in 2011 because, you know, I was using this really expensive $35,000 system that was impossible for other people to use. And it was impractical because you had to measure it in my gym. You couldn't take it home. So I wasn't getting as much data as I should. But as, you know, technology grew, that became more accessible to everybody. And so the first system, BioForce, was just looking at heart rate variability, which was kind of the end result of all these things happening put together. It did great. It was awesome. Had thousands of people using it. It was massive help. It was one of the first HRV systems. But I still realized, you know, as a coach, I was seeing the end result of someone's sleep and training, nutrition and all this stuff, but I wasn't seeing the underlying factors and causes because HRV changes in relation to all those things, but it can't necessarily tell me which one's the living factor. And right. so the whole concept with Morpheus was to tell the whole picture of someone's lifestyle and their training, how they're all coming together. So Morpheus pulls in activity data from whatever activity tracker you're using. It pulls in sleep data from a whole bunch of different sleep trackers. And it gets heart rate variability from our own Morpheus device. It gets your training data from, you know, pretty much any chest strap or heart rate monitor out there. And then it pulls all that data in to give you a recovery score. So you see the end result of what all this stuff is doing. And then it gives you heart rate zones for the day that help you manage your intensity more effectively. So it gives you a low intensity blue zone for recovery, a moderate intensity conditioning zone in the green, and then a high intensity, you know, uh, overload zone in the red. And just kind of helps you realize, you know, how well your body is recovering and it helps you understand better what different intensities are appropriate for, for each day and over the course of the week. So my whole goal, like I said, it was just to take all the data, all the things I knew were important and give people a recovery score because it's the end result of all these things happening together. And then to help point them in the right direction for conditioning and aerobic fitness by giving them these personalized heart rate zones that change every day as their recovery and their fitness changes, those zones are going to change. Their dynamic heart rate zones, they don't just stay the same every single day. They adjust based on where you're at. So I uh, just want to give some you know, people technology that I had developed as a coach myself that I wanted to use and had used for years and give them the same same uh, access to it and make it affordable, make it easy to understand and you know make it something everybody could use versus you know only high level coaches that were invested in you know thousands of dollars and all these things. And so that was really the the genesis of the whole concept and, and what we're working on now is like, a, a, you know, we've talked about is to take all this data and share it with coaches. So 
They can see how well their clients are sleeping. They can see how uh, their recovery is. They can see how active they've been. They can see what their heart rates were in the workouts they did yesterday or today and put all these pieces together from a coaching standpoint. And I think it's it's the, it's the missing element of fitness. I mean, people know nutrition is important. They know sleep's important. But until you actually see all these things impacting your fitness in such a meaningful way, until you actually realize that they are the make or break of your fitness, they're not just these you know important things. They're the most important things a lot of time. You know, until you see that, you really can't fully understand or realize it and as a coach. Being able to have access to this data and being able to have these relationships and these con, you know, these you know discussions with your clients about why they're not seeing results. Maybe it's not your program. Maybe it's the fact they're sleeping five hours a night. Right. You know, until you can see that and have those discussions, I think you're missing out on a big piece of fitness puzzle. So it's you know I think it's a huge part of where our industry needs to go, and I think that's heading that direction. But I think we're going to be one of the first ones out there. We we will be the first ones. We'll be the first ones out there to take all this data and give it to coaches and, and trainers and gym gyms a meaningful way to make make better programs and, and deliver better results. Yeah, the thing that I love about this kind of software too, and again, I've used, you know, I use BioForce for quite some time. And the great thing about it is, you know, the old like, oh, we're going to do a deload week this week or whatever. Like, you really don't even need that as much. You kind of have like your baseline program and then you have your, oh, okay, you're a little bit beat up or you're a little bit fatigued today. We're going to you know, adjust your workout in whatever way you prefer, dropping volume, dropping intensity, a combination of the two. So it really makes periodization way more fluid and responsive versus just trying to guess as to where somebody's going to need a deload in their whatever four or six week cycle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like basically, I would put it this way. Coaching without any data is a very reactive and very guess-based process. You're you're guessing to what you think is going to happen or what you think is happening, and then you react when something different happens. If somebody gets injured, obviously you react to that. If you retest them and their improvements weren't what you expected, then you react to that. But if we have data coming in and we have information we can use to make decisions, we're making those changes before it gets to the point where people break. We're making changes before, before it gets to the point where someone spent eight weeks and didn't really see any progress we're able to really push someone to the right edge of their capabilities without going over the other side where bad things start to happen. So we just, you know, like I said, it's like anything else, the more information you have and the more information you can actually use in your decision-making process, the greater likelihood those decisions are going to be accurate. They're going to be good decisions. And, you know, like I said, there's, there's just a lot of guesswork that's involved, particularly, you know, if you're a coach and you're, and you're working with 20, 30, 40, 50 people, I mean, you know, without some technology behind that, you, you have no idea what most of those people are doing. You can say, hey, how'd you sleep last night? I mean, the answer is, doesn't really mean anything because it's not objective. You don't have any real <laughs> right. data there. And you're never going to ask that when you train. So I think the, the key is just making data easy to use and making the whole process simple and, and fun for the people to use and then being able to translate that into better better coaching or if you're training yourself, just better decision making. And that's what technology should be doing. There's not always that happening. So that's, you know, my goal is really to bridge that gap between what coaches and what people actually want to see and what they're going to use and how they use it and what's, you know, what's happening. So as a coach, you know, myself, let's use technology. You know, I think I've been able to do that in an effective way and I can translate that a lot better, I think, than some software engineer who came up with an app or a technology that they've never used because they're not a coach or they're not an athlete themselves. I think that's part of our problem is you've had a lot of technology built in the industry by technology people, not by fitness people, uh, coaches like, you know, we are. So with that being said, talk to me about the future of fitness and tech. So if you could look into your crystal ball and predict the future, where are we going to be at in the next five to 10 years when it comes to programming and coaching for our clients? Yeah, I think we're just going to keep going down this road of, of more personalization at scale. I think we're going to get, I think devices are going to get better and better. I mean, you are starting to see devices improve in their capabilities and you're starting to see them be easier to use. You're starting to see them be more 
cost effective. You're starting to see them give you more guidance. You know, a lot of these apps out there are starting to give you some direction, but I think we'll just start to see more, more gyms, more trainers, more coaches be able to look at more information in a meaningful way. And if you're an athlete or you're uh, trying to train home, I think we'll be able to pinpoint your weaknesses better. We'll be able to track your progress better. We'll be able to put all the pieces together better for you. There'll be, there'll be improvements in you know personalized nutrition or personalized supplementation. There's all the genetics and the, the big projects around analyzing your genome, you know, improve as well. And that, that happens faster and is cheaper. You know, we get more insight about what trainings you'll respond better to. We get more insight about what nutritional things you'll respond to, which supplements might be more effective. I think we'll be able to just have better use of the data that we have and the, the data we have will be easier to collect. So, I mean, I think we're headed that direction. I think it'll just continue to improve because we're still kind of in the early days, sure. you know, I think in technology, there's, there's lots of devices out there. There's lots of information out there, but I don't think we're at the point yet where people are using it very effectively. It's kind of like the early days of the internet, right? Where you had just massive amounts of crazy websites and this, but the browsing was terrible and most <laughs> websites were terrible, but you had all this information. You know, I think we'll see that more and more companies and more, you know, devices will be able to facilitate just a better experience. Because I don't, I don't think the data is being used as effectively as it could be right now. And that's what my goal is to help improve that. But I think we'll just continue to see that over time where, you know, I can get a personalized program that's built around me and my needs and my goals. And I can have, you know, a lot of automatically adjusted things happen in the background without having to spend hours storing through the data. And as a coach, you know, that's what you want. You want something that's going to help you coach. I don't think we want to replace coaching. I don't think we'll ever replace the human element, but I think we'll be able to augment that. Coaches will be much better equipped. They'll be much better at adjusting programs if someone's not doing well. They'll be much better at tracking progress. They'll be much better at giving people guidelines about sleep and nutrition and all the mental stress things and all the other variables that affect programming and affect results. I think we'll just get better at putting all those lifestyle pieces together. And I think eventually we won't think of training as just a workout. We'll have much better context understanding that fitness is 24 hours a day it's not the hour day in the gym it's it's all those things that happen outside the gym as well and coaches will perspect will, will approach it that way i mean i think precision nutrition has done a tremendous job of getting coaches up to speed and the importance of nutrition and how to incorporate some nutritional counseling in there and but there's all these other things you know like i said there's sleep there's there's mental stress there's just how your body reacts to training there's all these things that Coaches need to be aware of it. They need to understand how to coach, but it's not being taught, you know, at a, very effectively right now. It's not being incorporated. So I think we'll see all those things improve over time. And that's just where we're, we'll eventually get to is just a better effective use of data and technology in a, in a way that's more compelling and, and more effective. I love it. I love it. So if somebody is leery of tech or hesitant to get started with whether it's Morpheus or, or any of the other like fitness based tech apps out there, what advice would you give them to get started? Well, the first thing is just start really simple. You know, I think it's easy to get intimidated by all the amount of devices out there. There's a million different devices out there, obviously, these days, and there's a million different apps out there. So just start really simple. I mean, I can tell you, if you were going to track, if I was going to say just track one thing and one thing only, honestly, I would say track sleep. And I would say, well, improve your sleep, I would say, is probably the most important thing. And if tracking it helps you do that, then that's the most important thing. But you don't have to be you know, tracking 10 different things. You don't have to be sorting through spreadsheets of data. You don't have to be digging through mountains of reports. You know, just track one thing that you need to improve. And over time, if you improve it, then maybe you add a second layer of tracking. So really, to, to me, data and tracking is only as good as its ability to help you improve something. So I would just say, identify something that is your, your biggest weakness or your, your roadblock, your limitation, and then start tracking and focusing on improving that. 
you know, using technology to do it. And as you start to see results, you know, you'll be more effective at using that technology and you may decide you want to add a second layer or maybe you want to start tracking your activity or maybe you want to start tracking your heart rate. So you want to start tracking your heart rate variability or whatever else. So if you're, you know, sleep, I say, is because it's the easiest and most important. You know, beyond that, I would actually say heart rate variability is probably the most important thing. But for someone who's very new to tech, you have to know what you're doing when it comes to HRV if you're talking to use Morpheus. So I would just say start small. You know, if like, you know, start very simple. Find something you need to improve in your fitness game and, and start tracking it and trying to improve it. And over time, you know, when you see the results of using that tech and it's helped you, then you'll be more open to using something else. But to me, like I said, your your whole goal of tracking something should be because you want to improve it. And you yes. want to make sure you're, you're you're doing the right amount of it, whatever the case may be. So don't track something just to say you track it. You know, track something because you know it's a limiting factor in your in your fitness and your health. And then tracking it can help you improve it and you start that standpoint and you just do one thing at a time you'll, you'll get better and better at it it'll be easier to you because a lot of times people that do track too many things don't know what to do with it and if you're not using some like morpheus it's just noise in the system and then yes. they don't know what to do with it and they stop using it right so hey. just be mindful about what you're doing and tracking the only way you want to track it's so funny that you say that because a couple of weeks ago i had chris barnes on here and not that i expect you to know who chris barnes is but he's basically the guy that brought sports science to the epl Right. And his main point with all this was we've gotten so caught up in collecting more and more data. We've gotten away from the insights that we need to get from the data to make it valuable. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it, I mean, team, teams are like teams are the worst of that. There was a time where if you had a technology, you knocked on a sports team store. They're like, here's a check. Like yeah. teams, <laughs> team, teams basically like we're in this race to collect data against each other. And so teams were collecting just insane amount of data from GPS to heart rate variability to tracking data or for you know, heart rate data activity. I mean, they were tracking anything and everything and some of them still are, you know, and he probably talked about this to the point where it's like they had two or three people whose job it was just to like track data, look at data, make sure devices work. Like you were, they were spending, you know, $200,000 a year on salaries <laughs> of just the guys to look at the data and at the end right. of the day. 90% of the time, the head coach didn't give a shit. Like right. the head coach <laughs> was not making decisions based on that data. And Dave Tenney has great stories about this. For, for those of you, you know, who don't know Dave Tenney, is he worked for the Seattle Stouters for a number of years, worked down through Orlando Magic, and I can't remember where Dave went now. Austin um, FC. There you go. So Dave, in my mind, is one of the best at you know collecting data in a meaningful way, making sense of it, and giving information back to the head coach to help the coach, coach make decisions. He's, he's phenomenal. He's been doing it a long time. I, he was one of the first people who came in back in like 2007 or maybe earlier who was looking at MegaWave and wanted to test it out. And, did a bunch of stuff with Dave to, to look at that. And, and he's really, really good. But, you know, he's got all kinds of stories where he'd run, you know, some pretty sophisticated models. You know, he was bringing people from Microsoft to run these models of data and go back to the head coach and say, like, here's here's how much of practice impact our players relative to a game. And he would say, here's, you know, my projected probability of injury of these players, you know, which would be a low magnitude. You know, maybe injury rate was like risk was like 1% or 2%. That's, that's still a really high number. But you got to realize it means that 99% of the time that player's not going to get injured in the game, right? Right. So, you know, he goes through all of this data and spend all this effort and he'd go back to head coach and be like, hey, this guy has a really high risk of injury for the game, which again, might be like 3%, which is, you know, a really high risk in the grand scheme of things. But player goes out and has a great game and the coach goes, your, your stuff doesn't work. Like <laughs> so much, so much for your technology. He had a great right. game, you know, right. but it was, you know, the risk of 3% injury was 97% chance he wasn't going to get injured, you know? Right. So coaches, coaches at the, at the top level, you know, they're, they vary in their, their own comfort with technology and their own you know ability to want to use it. And so I think you had this huge disconnect, particularly in the sporting world, but in, in everyday people as well, where you just had thousands of dollars and, and massive amounts of man hours being spent on collecting and analyzing data. And then by the time it got to the head coach, 
you know, the head coach is like, eh, like I'm not going to listen to that crap. I'm, I, I've been coaching my whole damn life. I don't need the damn technology to tell me what to do. You know, and that's just kind of the, the mentality, you know, or, you know, you had this, I had this, another quick story for you. We, we worked with the uh, San Francisco 49ers briefly when uh, Chip Kelly was there. Push strength is a variable BBT device. Yeah. And they were basically brought in to develop a, a questionnaire and some BBT data and some things that Chip Kelly wanted from, from his coaching experience. And then I, I came in to help push, put together the, the heart rate variability piece. I mean, they, they spent months, like months and months building out this huge dashboard, this huge reporting system, collecting heart rate variability and BBT and GPS and collecting just massive data. And then Chip Kelly, to his credit, really wanted it summarized into a very simple, easy to understand format. And he wanted it presented to his coaches. Like it was a really well thought out system. It was really well done. And in, in my experience, it was one of the best I've seen. But Chip Kelly got fired in a year. Like, oh my gosh! It was it was gone. Like I think the the system took longer to build and implement than Chip Kelly even coached for. You know, he, <laughs> wow. he was gone. And by the time he was gone, like that data was gone. And the next coach that came in, uh, I think it was Shanahan or whoever it was, you know, just tossed the whole thing out. Didn't want it. Was not oh his background. Didn't, didn't didn't understand tech. Got rid of the entire thing. So you know, you just you just saw this crazy thing, and you still see it in coaching, where you know every team and every coach you know looks at stuff completely differently, but. Um, anyway, it goes back to what your you know, Chris said. It's it's you know it is. There's there's just this massive amount of data that people collect just for the sake of collecting without actually using it. So that's that's my biggest piece of advice is you know if you're going to collect data, you know use it for something. And that's why I say use it to to track something that you feel like is a problem area. If you, if, right. If you don't get enough, if you don't get enough sleep, you know you don't get enough sleep. Tracking can help you see that. If you you know don't track anything in conditioning, heart rates can help you understand what your conditioning is doing and whether or not you are improving and all those sorts of things. So use data that is going to help you improve something that you need to improve. You know, otherwise it is just going to be noise in the system that's not really going to do anything for you. For sure. Okay, last one. Talk to me about recover to win. What's it about? Who's it for? What prompted you to create it? Yeah, Recover to Win. So it's a course I'm working on uh, releasing here very shortly that's just going to help everyone put all these pieces together that I've talked about. So I built this model over the years you know, from looking at data and just from coaching people and figuring out what are the big main factors that impact people's recovery and therefore their fitness. And so it's basically five things. It's movement, so that's activity, training, sleep, regeneration strategies, and just overall recovery. So it's nutrition. So move, train, eat, sleep, regenerate. Those are the five things. And so I put together this course to help people understand how to do all those things better and how to look at, again, fitness as the 24 hours in a day, not just the, the one in the gym. And so it's uh, it's a great course. You know, you contributed some to it. Dr. Mike Rousseau contributed to the nutritional side, but it's just meant to help people put all these other pieces together, not just the workouts in a way that's going to help them improve, not just their conditioning, but whatever it is, they want to improve their strength, their body composition, their health, all those different things. So I've got all these, these five different modules, you know, that go through, how do you understand nutrition from a recovery standpoint? How do you incorporate breathing into your training and cool downs? How do you monitor heart rates? How do you use technology to do all those things? How do you improve your sleep? How do you, you know, use some of your regeneration strategies and tools that are out there? It's just the big picture of recovery in a way that I don't think anyone else is, is teaching. I think right now there's a lot of information about recovery, but a lot of it's kind of scattershot just by the companies that are producing the devices right. um, or it's just a, a technique here or there, or, you know, go do an ice bath, you know, go do Wim Hof breathing, like stuff that's maybe or may not be useful, but it's just kind of thrown out there in the wind. There's no structure organization to it. It's a very shotgun based approach to recovery right now. I think people don't have a really good grasp on how all these things fit together or how to actually build a recovery program, a recovery strategy that's going to help them get better. And so that's what the course is all about. I'm really excited about it because I really do think it's going to make a huge difference in the way people approach training. And I've, 
I've been kind of doing this for a few years now where people would come to me, you know, I'm sure like you, I get quite a bit of emails and people say, Hey, can you build me a program? And you know, can I write me a program? And a lot of times I, you know, I don't do one-on-one programming. It's just not something I'm uh, available for these days. But a lot of times I'll get some interesting cases where people ask for a program and I'll, I'll kind of look at what they'll say. Well, send me what you're doing. I'll look at it and I'll say, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give you a program. I'm going to train program. At least I'm going to give you a recovery program. And I'll, I'll do a little bit of consulting back and forth on just picking out a couple of things. I know they're going to make a huge difference. And I'll tweak two or three things in their recovery side, not the training side. And then they'll come back to me and they're, they're like, I can't believe how much my results improved. Like I didn't change my training program at all, but all of a sudden my strength shot to the roof or all of a sudden, you know, my conditioning got so much better or all of a sudden my injuries, you know, seem to take care of themselves. And so once you start to unlock these things, again, that are happening outside the gym that are limiting your results, you can see massive differences that you never expected to see. Like all of a sudden the hard work you put in the gym is actually paying off because the limiting factor was not sets and reps or exercises. Your limiting factor was, you know, your sleep or your nutrition or how you deal with mental stress or whatever else. And so once you see that, you just realize how powerful it is and how much it's a missing component of a lot of people's bigger pictures. So, I mean, like I said, I'm excited to bring it out there because I know it's going to make a big difference in the way people approach these things. And it's going to help them, you know, finally get the results that they could have been getting all along if they would have been able to put these pieces together. So, like I said, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. You know, it's a video course. It's a principal workbook that comes along with it. And, you know, I'm really excited about it. And then obviously getting guys like you and Dr. Mike on board make it, make it even better. So super excited. It'll be coming here uh, next couple of weeks. I love it, man. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out because, you know, I just think you, you alluded to it before, but the difference between like training and working out or having a program and working out, it's the same thing with recovery. So often exactly. now there's no thought process to recovery or how training can facilitate recovery. It's just like, Oh, yeah, uh, I'm not feeling good. Like you said, go do an Epsom salt bath or go do a sauna with no real rhyme or reason to it versus like, hey, how can we put all these pieces together to make something that is very fluid that's going to make sure these people are recovering well so that the training that they're doing actually gets results? Like that's what it comes down to. It does. I mean, I think we just need to have a fundamental shift, which I hope I can help facilitate. It's I'm going to do everything in the gym I can to stimulate my body better. And then I'm going to do everything outside the gym to help my body actually realize those gains, right? You're creating the potential for improvement in the gym, but you're realizing that potential by what you do outside the gym. And that, and that can't be, like you said, just this random ad hoc, you know, stuff where like, oh, I, I feel sore here. So I'm going to go hyperize or I'm going to go Theragun. Those <laughs> things are valuable. Like there's nothing wrong with those things, but it's got to be done in, in more of a structure. And there's more to it than that. You know, it's, it's when do you eat your, how do you eat your, how do you uh, time your, your foods around your workouts? It's how do you manage your sleep effectively? How do you deal with the mental stress side of the game? How many steps should you actually take? How many calories should you actually try to burn a day? How should you manage a big picture of your training? There's just, there's just so many pieces in there that drive the results of the gym that aren't being dealt with in an organized or intelligent way. And to me, again, a lot of those are the missing links in fitness right now. It's, it's that we've you know, programmed things to death. Like there's endless things about programming, but there's almost nothing out there that teaches you how to do everything else outside of that. And again, those things are just as important, if not more important, because again, they come back to, do you actually see the benefits of the workout? That's not just you know, one question, it's the question. It's how do we get as most, the, much, the best result possible for our work? And that is where recovery is the essential answer. Absolutely. All right, man. Last but not least, lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Ready? Yep. All right. Number one, how's Hawaii these days? Dude, Hawaii is awesome. How's Hawaii every day? <laughs> <laughs> 80 degrees and sunny most of the time. You get some little rain stuff here and there, but Hawaii is awesome. Um, as you know, I'm out here for the win- winter time, and when you compare Seattle to Hawaii or the Midwest, and where a lot of people are in the middle of winter, <laughs> it's, uh, it's paradise out here. So I, I love Hawaii. I particularly love the North Shore of Hawaii. 
up in Eric Alhaiva and my other major surf spots, Bonsai Pipeline and YMA and all this stuff. So I love love Hawaii, even though I'm not a not a surfer, at least not yet. It's a okay. place to be the winter time, if you ask me. You beat me to it. I was going to ask if you were a surfer. Okay, number two. Not yet. Are you flying anything new these days? Just helicopters, planes, or are there new things uh, with wings that I don't know about? I mean, if there was, I'd fly, I'd be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did find a helicopter in Hawaii to fly, which was a, a feat in of itself. So I've been flying around here quite a bit. But I mean, you can fly gliders. I've flown gliders a bit, but gliders are kind of boring, honestly, when you compare them to helicopters and airplanes. So they're not sure. my preferred. I mean, if, I could, if there was something else to fly, you know, if it's a wingsuit or something that could pull that off, I probably would give it a shot. But you know, I'm still sticking to helicopter and airplanes, just doing it in a different spot. And Hawaii's a Hawaii's a really cool place to fly. There's all kinds of stuff to fly and see around here. Oh, I bet. I bet. Okay, number three, switching back to MMA. Who's your favorite fighter to watch right now? You know what? I I would say it's still Demetrius Johnson, you know, a guy I worked with for a yeah. long time. I still, I still think he's the best all-around combination of skill and athleticism out there. I mean, there's there's definitely some new guys, you know, Adesanya is fun to watch and, and some of the younger UFC guys, but I just don't think they have the same – overall level of skill that dj does and i i still like the old school fighters i'll be honest with you i loved fedor i liked watching chuck with yeah. i love watching vanderlei silva it was super fun to watch rampage i mean i really like it was like the wild fighters. west dude it was so much well, fun it, back then it was so much fun to watch and, and to me those guys just had so much personality like yeah they were fun as shit to watch i mean like conor mcgregor's kind of been, been the guy that had a big personality everyone to watch because he, of his mouth but to me, like the old school guys were so much more fun to watch and the old school pride even the old school ufc i mean i mean I remember being at like the you know the Chuck Liddell fights in Vegas and you know it was it was awesome like it was just so much more exciting I think their characters were were more fun to watch and their their fights were awesome so I, I don't know I mean the UFC is it's still fun to watch and I still watch the fights here and there but I'm just I'm not uh, as much of a casual fan in that sense as, as I used to you know I used to watch all of them and I, I just uh, you know I was definitely reduced yeah. how many UFCs I'm watching because I think they've become watered down and they have so there's many so many of so them now stuff. too I there's feel so like there's like every other weekend. There are. There, there's a lot of them, and they just they don't have the same level of exciting fighters that they used to. I just I think those have kind of gotten washed away with with the number of fights they've had and the way the games the games kind of changed in a way it almost makes it more boring. And I think the UFC rewards it in some way because if you lose, you lose half your purse and you can get cut by the UFC. Yeah, you know? and that's that's a, that's a, that's a, a discouraging factor to try to to wing it and you know go for the right. win if you know that you know if you can win on points and you can keep your career going, you're going to do that versus you know potentially losing not just the fight, but getting kept by the UFC because you have one bad fight or you lose half your purse. So yeah. anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But I would just say, I think the, the old school fighters were a whole hell of a lot more fun to watch. But, uh, you know, these days I'll still watch DJ, obviously, and he's still, uh, in my mind, the best combination of skill and athleticism. Like I said, maybe not Fernandez, and I got trained a long time. It's, it's fun to watch and great fighter as well. But, you know, I, I still miss the old days, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Joel Jameson? What's next? Well, really, it's it's getting this recovery win course we just talked about out there, and then getting the Morpheus coaching platform, which I know we've talked about, and, and being able to really further the technology side of things in a way that's meaningful and solve that problem of how do you make data useful for coaches and useful for everybody. And I think that's you know my big focus right now is is being able to to do that because I think technology you know has played a role in so many parts of our life. I mean, I can go online right now and order food to my house in you know 20 minutes i can go on amazon and get stuff if i'm in seattle at least i get stuff on amazon in an hour i mean i've literally gone right. around to amazon.com or the app and it has stuff from amazon to my house in an hour i mean it's ridiculous so wow. in a lot of ways technology has made our lives more convenient it's made our lives easier 
you know, we can communicate with people all, all the way across the world on Skype or Zoom and see each other. I mean, there's, there's all these things that technology has been able to do to help us, you know, just have more convenient life and better communication, all these sorts of things. But in fitness, you know, I think it's it's added some elements, but it hasn't had the same level of impact as it, as it should. You know, there's there's gyms out there that put heart rates up on the screen, but they don't really help the training program. You know, there's people that, that measure things, but they aren't really making a difference. I mean, I think we have to take elite forward if we're going to push the fitness industry forward and help people actually improve their lives. Because at the end of the day, I still think we're seeing a lot of the same problems with fitness that we've always seen and, and how you keep people engaged, how you keep them coming back, you know, time and time again, how you help them see consistent results, how do you help them actually change their lifestyles outside the gym, how you do all those things. And technology, to my mind, hasn't really had, you know, a major impact in the way that it potentially could and should. And so my goal is to essentially help change that. So, you know, I would say that's really my focus and what I'm, what I'm hoping to be able to do is move things forward. I love it, man. Well, Joel, it's been great catching up with you as always. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the work that you're doing? Yeah, just number eightweeksout.com, the best place to find me. And it's funny, I was sitting years and years ago before I started the site, or right when I started the site, I say, we were sitting down in a sushi place we used to go to with all the, the fighters all the time. And then we were training Rich Franklin and his sidekick, George Grigel, was also a UFC fighter, a Missouri black belt. And I was like, I think I'm going to start a website. And they were like, why? What are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'm just going to write about, you know, training you guys and, and fighters. And, and they're like, what are you going to call? I'm like, uh, I don't I don't know. And, and George goes, eight weeks out. I was like, eight weeks out. I kind of like that. That's I'm cool. Like, that was, that was a random name. And so I, I ran into him, I don't know, a couple of years ago at a fight somewhere. He's like, where's my royalty, man? Where's my <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm like, yeah, I'll give you, how about this? I'll buy you lunch. We'll call it even. But it was just this random lunch, you know, where he just said, he said, eight weeks out. And it just kind of kind of stuck. So eightweeksout.com is where you guys can find me. And then slash recover to win. If you want to learn more about the recovery uh, course that I, I mentioned. But yeah, it was sometimes you just randomly, and the same thing with, with Morpheus, the app now. I was, I was just driving down the street one time trying to think of names. And I was like, Morpheus, you know, that's, that's a really good name. And I was, I was asking my girlfriend, like, what do you think? She's like, that's terrible. And she <laughs> did, did not get it. And I was like, no, it's not. I like it. And so I just, you know, stuck with it. So sometimes, you know, names or brands or things you come up with, like they just come to you and you, you, you like it or you don't and you go with it. So I, I didn't do a bunch of, you know, research. What boggles my mind is some companies will spend like $200,000, you know, testing market research. Market research. Yeah. I mean, literally, if you go to a company and you say, hey, what do we want to do? market research, you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for a report basically the end of the day that just, you know, gives you their information. But, you know, so far I've just kind of picked things that work for me and, uh, you know, gone with them and it's paid off well enough so far. So I mean, between.com is the, yeah, I was going to say between eight weeks out bioforce Morpheus, I would say your names and your websites have done all right so far. So yeah, it, it worked out well. And I like recover to win too. I think recover to win is yes. A, it's a good name and it's, it's accurate. So I think people will enjoy the course and the name will, uh, will help that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Joel, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. You know, I'm, I'm always game. I think this is the, I don't know, third or fourth time I've been on your show. Yeah, it's been a few, but I mean, I wouldn't ask you back if it wasn't great stuff, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate it and wish you guys well and everyone else who's listening, getting through these tough times and come out the other side stronger than before. my friend that does it for this week's show with joel really hope you enjoyed it i know he's a guy that i love catching up with and i can tell you honestly every time we sit down and chat either within the show or something we talk about just loosely before the show starts man i take something away from this guy's work every single time we get together so really hope you enjoyed the show hope you enjoyed the episode if you did do me one favor subscribe to the show right now wherever you listen to podcasts iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, 
basically anywhere you can consume podcasts, you can subscribe so that you know each and every week when we drop a new episode. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>